While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. asking me if i've ever thought something bad about somebody yes and then they like proved me wrong yes and then i have to get over thinking that bad thing about them yeah or you get mad now i'm mad because i don't have a right to be mad at them anymore I don't I don't want to ask who you're talking about specifically. Okay, it's but. my upstairs neighbors. Oh, okay. It's fun. What These are they my do? newer ones. He's this is not not the the last Yabos. These are the the ones we probably talked about them a couple months back where I was asking if it was okay to end parties at two AM. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You always so, get partiers upstairs. Oh my god. Um well I ran into one of them on our like front step the other day and he apologized for like two months ago, causing all sorts of ruckus. Like he was like, "Hey, I've been meaning to." Oh, I'm so sorry. Now I see what you're what you're dancing around. And he's like, "So you, know, you... And, and we've we've actually been kind of we've been meaning to have you guys over for dinner, and it was really nice of him. We had like a real conversation with a human, and now I'm not allowed to be mad at the guy who lives upstairs anymore." Cause I You've know had he's a the good guy. Person. Upstairs to be mad at for so long, like since you moved, yes, you had those really crappy neighbors for a long time, and then you you had the party neighbors, and yes. you so they had that party, and then like every token inconsiderate thing that happened from then on, like if they were stomping around or if they like had the TV on too loud or something, you could just be like, oh, those uh, jerks upstairs. Yes. And now you can't do that anymore. I am not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> what a jerk he is. What is this hate vacuum that you need to fill? Like, what? Do you... I don't know. It's just now I feel like I can't even be annoyed in my own home. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't be annoyed in my own home, where can I be annoyed, Andrew? I don't know. <laughs> I just I have no answers. I'll have to take my annoyances to the internet airwaves. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And each week we complain about something, and then we talk about books. Uh, <laughs> books that you should have read by now, or, or someone told you to read and you didn't get around to, uh, or by authors that you should know. That's about it, right? Yeah. That I cover everything? A, I think you need a pet. Because you can like you can be mad at a pet and it doesn't matter because if you like I'll tell my cat how stupid he is but I tell him in like a little kitty baby voice so he thinks that I'm just like mooning over him. Can you can you demonstrate? No, no, I can't. <laughs> you jerk. I just talk right. to. I look at his little face and his little feet. Oh, look at his so dumb little your, feet knocking over my soda. Oh, are you so face. cute? He's got a brain the size of, like, I don't know, nothing. He's got no brain. <laughs> it's just his head is full of those styrofoam packing peanuts. 
Is someone shaking a can of marbles? No, that's just my cat running by. It's his brains. Well, speaking about brainy things, what did you read this week, Andrew? Okay, I read King Lear by uh, Bill Shakespeare. Wait. As he he preferred to be called. By his friends? Yeah. Okay. Billy Shakes. Billy Shakes. King Lear by Billy Shakes. William Shakespeare. Uh... What what do you know about Billy Shakes, Andrew? I know that there are only like five things to know about him. Great. Can you rattle them off? Can you go? One is, I think we know when he was born and when he died, but yeah. I don't like personally know <laughs> when. Well. Um, and he was born in Stratford-upon-Avon. Uh-huh. Where do you think he died? Um, Stratford-upon-Avon. I believe that's correct. All right. Um, so he's a local hero, and he wrote a bunch of plays. Those are the things that I know. Okay. About when would you say, expert, he wrote these plays? In the 1600s. Uh, yeah. In the late 1500s and early 1600s. Better. Be- much better. All right. <laughs> <laughs> are you looking for a specific... No, Come on, do you Alex know, Trebek. Like, what do you, are you know? What, what are you a, looking for? Anything else interesting about him? Uh, no, not really. I was going right. to lean on you for this because you're oh, the man. you're the drama guy. Yeah, I am the drama guy. I am not a Shakespeare expert. Was that an unsuccessful portmanteau? Expert. Yeah, I'm not as good at Shakespeare as inventing words because he invented like thousands of them. He invented the word eyeball. Have we talked about that? Really? He invented the word eyeball. Or at least popularized its usage. That's my caveat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know when he was baptized. He was baptized on April 26, 1564. Yeah. Um, his exact birthday is not known. And then he died on uh, April 23rd, 1616. I know that his dad, John Shakespeare, which is a great name. John Shakespeare. Uh, he was Here's an my alderman. brother, Steve Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris Shakespeare. Cousin Chris. Uh, his dad made gloves. Uh, okay. Someone's what, got to, I guess. Someone's got to make some gloves. Everybody needs gloves. Call all old Johnny Shakes. He'll make you some gloves. And uh, Bill Shakespeare uh, then moved to London around when he was 18, I think. Married Anne Hathaway. Huh? Huh? Nice. Nice. Yeah. A little time travel. Uh, a little time travel. Um. Then he started writing poems and, and acting, uh, and then moved on to writing plays. He joined a troupe called the Chamberlain's Men, which is uh, became the most popular troupe in the 1580s, 1590s. Mm-hmm. And then when Queen Elizabeth died, uh, King James was like, hey, I like those guys. Uh, they're the King's Men now. So then he they changed the name to the King's Men. Um, and his company also is responsible for the the erection of the globe theater um which became the most successful theater in its day um one of the one of the quotes that we use to to know when shakespeare rose to prominence as a writer i'm going to try and get this in front of me so i can read it um it was written by a guy named robert green and so a lot of his contemporaries were upset with shakespeare because he wasn't university educated like he went to school uh but he was not like an oxford boy you know sure Uh, and he modeled his plays after you know contemporary writers of the day like christopher marlowe and kind of based their structure off older roman playwrights like seneca 
Uh, and he was kind of writing all sorts of different stuff. And this guy, Robert Green, said in 1592, there is an upstart crow, beautified with our feathers, that with his tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide, supposes he is as able to bombast out a blank verse as the best of you. <laughs> and, and being an absolute Johann's factotum, is in his own conceit the only shake scene in a country. What? Yeah, he uh, when he says Johannes Factotum, he means like jack of all trades. Oh, okay. Uh, basically insulting Shakespeare for uh, not actually being specialized in any one thing. Um, and one of the big arguments against whether or not Shakespeare wrote all the things he wrote <laughs> was that, oh, well, how could he have known all those things? He didn't go to war. Is how does he know about war? Like, well, he's a genius, and he read a lot. God. I'm trying, like, from the tone of your voice, I'm trying to discern what your opinion of those people is. And I, <laughs> The king was like, yo, Shakespeare, I like your acting and your acting friends. <laughs> they sold poems and plays with Billy Shakes' name on them. Okay. Are you oh. sure it is not just, like, Billy Shakes the collective of people like a writer's room no churning out Macbeth he was or well known all right he wrote plays with specific actors and theaters in mind he was a real person with real friends and no it wasn't <laughs> Christopher Marlowe because Christopher Marlowe died and couldn't have written all the other plays that Shakespeare wrote <laughs> so you have some strong feelings on this subject yeah. Um, do you know if all of his plays are extant or no, we if just, we're missing oh some of them? Because I know like know if you go back to I know when you go back to the Greek playwrights, like a lot of the time all we have of a lot of plays is like a list with the name of the play on it. <laughs> so we know that it existed, but we have like nothing of the body of the text. So I don't like Shakespeare is much more recent than that, and I don't know if the same thing, like if we know the names or anything of any Shakespeare plays, but have not ever found the text. I don't, I couldn't tell you offhand uh, any of the ones that we think we've heard of but don't know. There's a play that I think was recently canonized or at least implicated in the canon called Cardinio. Um, and a lot of those later plays that they're not, they think is Shakespeare but aren't sure uh are co-authored and that's another kind of more recent bit of scholarship about that era is how many of those plays are more more considered to be co-authored than uh solely written by someone okay. um you can if you kind of s compare marlowe to to shakespeare like page to page you can see kind of a refinement of the blank verse form that shakespeare made over marlowe which for me is a good enough con you know good enough argument that it's all one dude or at least influenced by one dude okay um and oh there's one other point i wanted to make about that oh the big the big reason that there's a lot of guesswork with regard to shakespeare is because he was never writing these plays to be published it, at least when he started um so we have these quarto editions and the and the first folio editions Mm -hmm. uh, the quartos were individual plays published, and quarto and folio has to do with the size of the paper when they were bound. Um, and later in Shakespeare's life, or even right after he died, a bunch of folks condensed them into what is called the first folio edition. Uh, and so that is like one route of scholarship you can go. 
some of the earlier quartos are like messed up. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. There's there's a version of Hamlet that was clearly like dictated by the dude who was a bit player in the cast. And so he gets <laughs> like he gets to be or not to be wrong. And this character called Vardaman has like way too many lines. That's actually that's some of what I know about Lear that I want to talk about when we're done with Shakespeare himself. Yeah, and and then which I'm sure will come up when we talk about Lear is Shakespeare's plays were so popular that after the English Revolution, when there was a lot more censorship on, at least in the initial part after the English Revolution, there's a lot more censorship over the plays and the theater that was being performed. So a lot of his plays got rewritten or adapted by playwrights of the day. Um, and then that kind of changed all the scholarship and, and muddied the waters. So Hamlet, one of the reasons Hamlet is so long is because it's like three different versions of Hamlet jammed together. <laughs> just like, just saying. Uh, so a lot of modern productions of these plays will will do a lot of cutting for various reasons. Um, directing Shakespeare is basically an active adaptation. Sure. So is that well, because I, I think most? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's enough about Shakespeare. I, I, th- I think that most people who put Shakespeare on now, like it's it's rarely done totally straight. Is that right? Like often it's <sighs> defined totally tweet. straight. Well, like, like like if they they just. Like I've got the the copy of King Lear I read is in this giant, like literally three thousand page book called the Norton Shakespeare, which is based on the Oxford edition of Shakespeare. Yeah, I'm sure these words mean something to you. Yeah, <laughs> vaguely. Um. So like, and and again, you you're you're in a better position to say this than me, but I I feel like if you just performed one of these straight out of this book, like as it's written with no tweaks or anything. I feel like you would lose a lot of people because of like archaic language or like words that Shakespeare made up that don't really exist. <laughs> you might you you might actually lose people more just in the occasional redundancy of an idea mm-hmm. uh, that in Shakespeare's time was part of the poetry was also part of the fact that you know a good portion of these plays wasn't till the Scottish play or so that. Some of his plays were being performed inside first, like almost all of his plays were written to be performed outside where mm-hmm. people were talking and yakking and making noise. And so sometimes so you they might miss stuff. Yeah, you might repeat stuff uh, that you wouldn't otherwise have to. You know, that's kind of a very oversimplified version of why you might cut down Shakespeare. Um, so I think it, you're more cutting for clarity rather than outdated words or or sentence structure because i think some of that stuff can be illuminated with better acting sure um and if you don't have that on hand well then maybe you do some extra cutting i don't know (laughs) (laughs) okay so the thing about king lear before we jump into the plot i guess is um so in this book it talks about you know we have a quarto edition yep that we believe to be dictated directly from like Shakespeare's original um, handwriting, okay, I guess. which are called foul papers. I don't know if you know that. Yes, I think I did. <laughs> I did read that in this book. I think that's great. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> so we think it's like it's as close to the original source as we can get. Sure. Um, it was done, I believe, in 1608. But the problem with it is that. Apparently, they think that the way it was, you know, transcribed is one person was reading aloud to another person who was typesetting it. 
Oh, dear. And so that person occasionally misheard things or did not get all the punctuation right. Yeah. And um, apparently in some cases, Shakespeare's handwriting may have been illegible or just hard to read. Oh, good. You know, he wasn't a professional scribe. No. Um, And then we've got this, you know, the later first folio edition, which, Mm -hmm. you know, has 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 removed several sections that appear in the quarto edition and added some stuff that does not appear in the quarto edition that I I don't think we think it's as close to the primary source because the the folio was published in 1623 and he died in 1616. So it's a few years um, posthumous. Um, so for a long time, I guess we we just combined the two versions and we like took all the stuff that was present in one version, but not in another version and just made one big version with all the stuff in it and then went through and reconciled all the changes. And and I, I guess people were approaching it as though it was just two different imperfect sources and by blending them, you would get something that was closer. Yeah. And that kind of lasted until like the 70s, right? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, until pretty recently. But um, now I guess the thinking is that, you know, there are different drafts of this stuff. So the 1608 version is an earlier draft and the 1623 version represents, you know, later additions and, and things that were made as it was performed and as it evolved. Um, so this book and the way it la- is laid out is kind of weird is that 1608 version is called the history of King Lear. The 1609 version is called the, or the 1623 version is called The Tragedy of King Lear. Mm-hmm. And for like a hundred and some, like 150 pages of this book, it puts the history on the left side and the tragedy on the right side. Oh, that's and terrible. Makes, and it makes the lines all line up so you can see exactly like where the gaps Weird. and the changes Weird. So are. you read two plays, did you? I did not read two plays. Um, well, and then and then they also include a third modern version that blends the two, as you know, as as sure. have been done for for like hundreds of years, I guess. Um, I read the sixteen twenty three version. Okay, and this is part, so this is part of the first folio. It's right? part of the first folio, and I I figured that I wanted to read the later like the latest version of the play. Yeah, that's fair. um just to clarify real quick i want to make sure we don't miss stuff for for people who are trying to bone up on shakespeare um the folio is trying to bone up on shakespeare and like we're your like your your first line of scholarship like you read a book yeah read a book (laughs) then come back to us um this podcast is predicated on the idea that you've read a book Just tell you that much. Or at least you're open to the idea of eventually reading a book. So one of these days I'll get around to it. Um, the folio was compiled by John Hemmings and Henry Condell, who were friends of Shakespeare. I think they might have even been members of the company. Uh, and it is missing a few plays. It's missing Pericles and Two Noble Kinsmen. Um, and I know that Two Noble Kinsmen was one of the ones that was co-written. And it was missing Cardinio, which I mentioned earlier, and another play I didn't know existed, actually, Love's Labor's One, which I'm sure is a sequel to Love's Labor's Lost, because Shakespeare is not above sequels. <laughs> I was just going to say, is this a prequel to Love's Labor's Two? Or... <laughs> it's one of those um, pre-sequels or C-prequels, whatever you call them. <laughs> Lion King One and a Half. Oh, okay. So the same movie from a different character's perspective. <laughs> Why not? Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Timon and Pumbaa. There you go. 
That's actually true. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Anyway, so let's that, get on with the play. That's the deal with, with King Lear. Uh, oh, so it's so good. I'm glad talk, we talked about it. Glad, let's glad talk this about show's King over. Lear. <laughs> so there are a bunch of characters in this play, right? Yep. There's this guy, King Lear. Great. Already and, on it. And he's got three daughters. Uh, Goneril, Regan, or yep. Regan. I don't know. I, I wanna... think it's... I, let's go with Regan, because I don't want to talk about Ron Regan all day. <laughs> okay. And Cordelia. Yep. Heard of that one. Okay. Um... Then there's this guy, the Earl of Kent, and yep. this guy who and Kent is like uh I I wouldn't say friend, but like a loyal subject of King Lear. He's part of it's, court. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh there is a fool who is, you know, the court fool, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we'll talk about him in a bit. There's this guy, the Earl of Gloucester. Yep. Um, which is spelled G L O U C E S T R, and Susanna said that she would murder me if I came on the podcast and called him like the Earl of Gloucester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people who've been Earl or Duke of Gloucester. Uh, that's a big title that gets bandied around in the Richards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably learn a little bit about the region of Gloucester and why anyone <laughs> cares. But yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, and the Earl of Gloucester has a son named Edgar and a bastard son named Edmund. Great, and not confusing not, at all. <laughs> it's not a cuss word if they're actually illegitimate, so. Yep. This bastard Edmund. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some other people in there, but like, whatever. They don't, they don't matter that much. Great, let's not even worry about them. <laughs> <laughs> there's this guy named Oswald who is a steward and who shows up and like isn't there like another guy his name starts with an A like Aberind or Ab oh, oh I mi- little I Abner the, I missed the Duke of Albany who is Conroll's husband and the Duke of Cornwall who is who is Regan's husband great those seem those seem like important guys yeah, those so, those are they're important dudes so what's King Lear up to what's going on. The play opens with King Lear saying, I don't, I'm tired. I don't want to be king anymore. <laughs> and so he's going to split his realm amongst his three daughters. Okay. Based on who loves him more. <laughs> yeah. Which seems just like right off the bat, like a really good idea. Splitting the kingdom is the first good idea, and then doing it based on who loves you more is the second good idea. That's not going to cause any problems. So already we're off to a good start. Uh, Goneril says this very like ornate, flowery thing about how much she loves him, and he's like, "Man, you really love me," and he gives her part of the kingdom, okay, like, without without like vetting her or anything, like right on the spot. He just hands it over. Sounds good. Um, then Regan says, "Well, she loves you. I love you just as much," <laughs> and the king's like, "Okay, here's your land," and then he comes to Cordelia. And she doesn't want to say anything. And he's mad. He's like, you should say something. Like, what's what's your deal? And she says, you know, I don't have anything to compare my love to. I, I like I just I can't convey the amount that I love you. OK. Which, you know, the, the way that it's intended is like, I actually love you. Yes. And I can't just lay it out in flowery prose because it's more like it's deeper and more complex than that well and he's totally moved by that right it's so it's so beautiful what she does 
right? Um, no. Oh. He does not. He misses the subtext, which is a theme in this play. <laughs> I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come right out and say that everything that happens to everybody in this play, they all had it coming. Oh <laughs> no, King! The the tragedy of King Lear, aka he had it coming. <laughs> he he was asking for it. Asking for it. So King Lear gets really mad at Cordelia and he like disowns her on the spot. <laughs> Sounds about right. Because he she was not good enough at telling him how much she loves him. That's a yeah. I <laughs> okay. And then the Earl of Kent is like, dude, like slow your roll. Maybe you should think about this before you do it. And the king gets so mad at him that he banishes Kent from the country. <laughs> well okay. Well Kent had it coming. He saw what he did to Cordelia what yeah, was he Kent just thinking? Kept his big mouth shut. Oh. No, okay. Kent, Kent is okay. Um, Gloucester is just kind of dumb. Um, and everybody else is just terrible. I think is the is the thrust of the. Well, play. so I imagine that this all works out. Like everyone has a great life after this. Yeah, happens. everybody. You know, everybody walks off. They cool their heels for a second. They come back, and then cooler heads prevail. No, that's not. What my head and my heels are plenty cool, <laughs> and you are a jerk. Let's do this. So King Lear retains some knights, but the kingdom gets split between Gonril and Regan and Great. the Duke and the Dukes of uh, Albany and Cornwall, respectively. Okay. And um, Lear says, you know, he'll he'll just live with either daughter, or you know, he'll he'll live with both of them, like alternating. Like every other Wednesday, yeah. He's like with they Don work Roll. out a they work out like a child support thing. And Reagan orders pizza on the weekends when yeah. Lear's over. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, um, and then like almost instantly, there is a little aside with Goneril and Regan where they're like, "Did you, did you mean it? No, I didn't mean it. Did you mean it? No, no, dude, no, man." So they didn't actually mean that they loved him. So Lear comes over to Goneril's house and he has all his knights and he's like, hey, why don't you put me in my knights up because I'm your dad and you love me so much. And she's like, nah, <laughs> I won't do it unless you give up like half your knights. What? What is she going to do with the knights? Does know. she just not want to feed them or does she want them? She, I think she just doesn't want her dad to have them because she doesn't care for him that much. Great. But Take away an old be, man's I, knights. Yeah, he doesn't have much be, left. I could be wrong about that, but that's that was how I read it. Great. And um, and then he goes to Regan, and she kind of pulls the same thing on him. And then he runs off alone into the the dark and stormy night, <laughs> <laughs> like all mad that his daughters don't love him. Like well, and he's not just mad; he is like. He's, he's mad like now. Mad, he's, like he's crazy like mad. Crazy mad now. Not angry mad. I mean, like, he is angry mad, but he also is insane <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so, time out. That's the first thing about Shakespeare that, like, every time I read it, I get a little annoyed by it. Is like, people's sanity is always hanging by a thread. Like, it, it takes nothing for somebody to totally just go out of their head cuckoo bananas insane well you think about living a whole life and a half like king lear probably has he's real old he's been king for a long time probably we assume we assume uh and it's gonna take a lot of courage to be like you know what i just i just need a nap and maybe i can nap 
if I split up my kingdom, because my daughter, do- my <laughs> lovely daughters, love me so much, they'll take care of it. They'll take care of me, and then they don't. I might go a little cuckoo banana pants. Yeah, I I think that would be really scary if I gave up everything I'd worked for, and then people were like, "Get out of here, old man." Get out of here with your smelly underpants. Get out of here. Oh, and I forgot what happened to Cordelia. She gets married to the like king of France. The, and oh, the, that's right. She was supposed to get married to him anyway. She was, she was, yeah, there were two suitors, like the Duke of Burgundy, who I believe pieces after the beginning and has never seen or heard from again. Probably. And then the king of France, who actually marries her. And, and he's like, well, if your dad doesn't want you, I'll take you. <laughs> So she goes off to France. Okay. That's the other thing about about Shakespeare that I find sort of sort of funny is that these characters are like the Earl of X or the Duke of X and then throughout the play they're just referred to as whatever they are, the Earl or the Duke or the King of. So the King of France is just France. Yeah, man. That's the oneness of the leader and the state. Like, come <laughs> on. Um, okay, so all this is happening. Meanwhile, uh, Edmund the Bastard mm-hmm. is mad that just because he's a bastard, he's not going to get his dad's like title and lands and stuff. That sounds unfortunate. And sort of, <laughs> I guess he resents his dad and his brother about it. Yep. I, I suppose is my, is my read. And um, so he really transparently plays the Earl of Gloucester and Edgar off against one another, like telling them each that the other is trying to kill them. Yep. And they both without like, not totally without proof. Like he has these letters that I believe the implication is that he forged. Yeah, I think he did. That that said, you know, that says, you know, I'm the Earl of Gloucester and I hate my son, Edgar signed the Earl of Gloucester. (laughs) So he plays them off against one another and they and you know the Earl of Gloucester disowns his son Edgar and Edgar's like well I'm going to dress up as a hobo and go and pretend like I'm crazy now. For to what end? Just cuz I as far as I can tell I don't know man. <laughs> what do you <laughs> You seem to be having trouble with this one. It's it, it was really it's Reading Shakespeare is part of the problem. Oh, it's terrible because it, like this is this is even one of the heavily annotated versions where you know the meanings of the different words and phrases are spelled out alongside and underneath, which is kind of alternatively helpful and distracting. Oh yeah, because then you're never just reading it, right? You're always reading it and going, "Do I want to learn more, or do I want to be comfortable not knowing what's going on?" Yeah. Well, and none of these words were, they weren't written to be read. Like, that's a huge thing. And and it's huge with regards to, I think, comprehension of Shakespeare. Like, there's lots to be loved and gleaned from reading them just on the page. But I think they're way better if you actually are hearing them or, or saying them. Yeah. Um, it helps just with the, the sense of thought completion and and how any of these lines of poetry are constructed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, um, yeah, it's helpful just to take like a break every couple, every <laughs> few minutes to talk about something else. Um, 
So, okay. Edmund the Bastard has gotten Edgar out of the picture as far as he's concerned. And then Edmund betrays his father to the Duke of Cornwall and Regan and Goneril, who, like, pluck his eyes out. <laughs> yeah. In punishment. Yeah. For, like, I don't know, for... I think for supporting the king, right? Is that am I right with that? I believe that's true. Let me double check. Or at least being like sympathetic to the king. A letter from Gloucester to the king of France asking for help against Cornwall, Regan, and Goneril. So, right. so asking the king of France, who is married to Cordelia, yes, for help on the king's behalf, right, or just. No, it does. It does say that Gloucester Gloucester protests against Lear's mistreatment. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. So he wrote to France to be like, "Hey, Lear's daughters are going nuts. We gotta stop them." <laughs> and then Edmund was like, "Hey, Edmund guys. the bastard." Yeah, Edmund the bastard was like, "Hey guys, check this out. My dad's a jerk. Steal his eyeballs." Yeah, because. <laughs> So they just pop them out, I guess. Like the the stage directions make. Like what does it say? Someone dies or gets their eyeballs plucked out. The stage directions are just really glib. Like, let me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like. There's lots of just he dies or yeah, he, <laughs> right. He stabs him. And one of my favorite when I was reading uh, the Scottish play in middle school, I remember uh, when whose son is it? Oh man, I don't remember whose son. Macduff's son, maybe when he dies. It, he's just like, you egg, and then he stabs him. Like, it's one of my favorite <laughs> lines of Shakespeare ever. All right, so the stage direction. The stage direction says, Cornwall pulls out one of Gloucester's eyes and stamps on it. Oh, God! <laughs> and then and then later it says, he pulls out Gloucester's other eye. So it's very, it's very matter of fact. Oh, man. Like, it doesn't even say how Gloucester reacts. It's just like, yoink. <laughs> Oh God! It's my I, eyeball now. Who's you got your eye? What do you, do you think they used grapes in like 1605? Just like like sleight of <laughs> Maybe hand. Maybe the audience just like played pretend that that's what was going. Everyone, on. close your eyes. I'm gonna pull this guy's eyes out, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna stamp on this invisible eye that I threw on the ground. Yeah. I mean, maybe that would work. I mean, did I they think... have grapes? Has it, had grapes been invented? I think. <laughs> I mean, the Italians invented grapes. I think so they might have had to bring them over and mm-hmm. I don't know what sea trade was like in the 16th century. It's possible that the English had grapes. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Lear again? Or you want to talk about grapes? Uh let's get back to the King Lear plotline. So Lear has wandered off into the wilderness with only his fool who is like constantly making fun of him. Yep. Um, the one of the lines that the fool says that I like is um he says to Lear that he is old he is like old before his time and King Lear is like what is that supposed to mean and the fool is like well I would have let you get wise before you got old. It's <laughs> pretty good. So like the character of the fool seems only to exist to goad Lear into being a crazy person. Uh huh. Like he. He is only really around for that stretch of book. He's not around earlier. He's not around later. And he just disappears and nobody asks where he went or <laughs> what has become of him at any point. Yeah. I mean, he uses he uses fools and, and clowns like that to kind of speak truth to power. 
in his plays. Like Feste yeah. serves that purpose in Twelfth Night, and kind of you put him in a scene, and and you can either the best Feste I've ever seen in Twelfth Night, which is not a play I super love, but it's decent. Um, you kind of put him in a he puts him in a scene with a Viola, and you let Viola look like an idiot. Like you put mm-hmm. the clown next to this character that is ostensibly like a protagonist, and you let them look like a crazy person. Yeah, you know. And I think I think in this case, the fact that he is the designated fool is kind of a shield for his character too, because King Lear has done way worse stuff to like every other character in this play for way less offensive stuff. Oh, yeah. So the fool kind of just gets away with saying anything he wants, and I guess you buy it because that's supposed to be what his job is. And, like, you know, maybe he's joking, but you know he's not joking. No, he's not joking. <laughs> and then, um, and with them is this guy named, it's it's spelled Caius, but usually I'm, like, it's Gaius, I'm sure. Yeah, going back to Roman Roman times, it would just be Gaius. So yeah. we're going to say Gaius. Um, there's this guy, Gaius, who is actually Kent in disguise, who has come back to like protect and and take care of the king. Sounds good. Because he likes him so much. Well, and he recognizes that he's an old idiot who needs protection. Yeah, he needs a little bit of help. A little bit of help. What happens to the blind guy? The guy with no eyes. Where does that go? All right, so we'll go. We'll jump back to that plot line. So uh, Gloucester is is thrown out. He just has this nameless old guy guiding him around, and they stumble upon um, Gloucester's son Edgar, who is at this point disguised as a homeless madman named Tom O'Bedlam. Yep, Tom O'Bedlam. I like that name. <laughs> yeah. See, this part of the this part of the play, like I don't, I just I don't understand why Edgar would not just tell his dad because because Gloucester starts saying that he, you know, he's been betrayed by Edmund the Bastard and he's sorry that he threw his son out and I don't understand why at that point Edgar does not jump out jump up and like pull off his wig and say hey dad well that wouldn't work because his dad is blind he can't <laughs> he can't he can't do that. Right? You can't pull off no. his wig. Well, I mean, like, you know, here's my voice, Dad. Here's something that only Edgar would know, Dad. Like, here's here I am. Yeah, it's your son from the because future. Because he, he tells, like, Edgar tells Gloucester offstage later that he is Edgar. And Gloucester is so overcome by happiness that he has a heart attack and literally dies. <laughs> oh, no. So it's not like... He wouldn't have believed him. I think Edgar you know? misplayed that one. <laughs> yeah. So they so there's this whole sequence where Edgar as Tom leads blind Gloucester to these to cl- a cliff at Dover so he can jump off and kill himself. The highest mountain in Delaware. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's not really a mountain, right? He's just no, like not he's at just all. making fun of the blind guy. Yep. And then, like, Lear comes out, and he's just being all crazy for a while. Like, I don't know. The play kind of meanders for a bit in there. Yeah, and it's all, it's it's culminating, it's going to culminate in, like, a big fight with trial by combat, right? Yeah, like, it's building towards something, but I feel like you can just go right to the thing that it's building to 
because the stuff where it's building is not like that interesting. You just see that Lear, yep, Lear's crazy now. There he is. He's wearing a crown made out of weeds. Are there no like penetrating insights into the human condition? I mean, there probably are, but I'm not, I'm, I don't think I got, I don't think I picked up on them. Is it because you're not old? Is it because you're not a dad? Is it because you still have your eyes? Like, what? Do you... <laughs> I, well, I just can't relate to the blind. I, I just I still have my eyes. So I don't, I don't get it. Bunch of whiners. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't see what the problem stop is. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> you're playing the fool. It's it's fine. You're allowed to say these things. <laughs> that's like that's what you get with overdue is one insensitivity and two like we're lay people so sometimes like sometimes stuff goes over our heads. I don't know. Like I feel I feel like I've come to class and I was supposed to have a book report done but I don't I like I like you read, read the, the book, clip. but you didn't. I read like, I, yeah, I read the book, but I didn't get any, everything. And I'm just going to get up. I'm going to get a C and then I'm going to sit back down. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, we're not grading you here. No. Part of, so do you think part of it is that it's just on the page, right? Well, like there, there are individual lines of Shakespeare that I think are like clever and stick with people. But if you're just, delivering a sequence of events that stuff gets lost a little bit fair sense yeah that's fair well and it's hard to unless you're taking if you're trying to read it to see where the story goes you will like a lot of shakespeare i find uh the plot is decent but it that's not the end-all be-all of why those plays get done for 400 years you know um, there are other characters and and reasons that characters behave that are that are far more interesting. I think Edmund is kind of an supposed to be almost like an evolution of an Iago type character, who's just kind of like Iago from Aladdin. Yes, Andrew <laughs> from the movie Aladdin, the parrot who who killed that Moor and the Moor's wife. Yeah. Okay. That parrot did all those things. Idiot. Going with what you're saying. I don't know what I was saying. I think Edmund is supposed to be this kind of <clears throat> next step of, of a line of characters that kind of goes back to Aaron the Moor from Titus and, and Richard the Third and these kind of people who, who mess with other people's lives for their for their own gain. Um you know, a lot of these plays, especially like this is like half history, half tragedy. Um, you know, it's in the edition you read, it's called a tragedy, not a history, right? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the history is on the one side of the page and then the tragedy is on the other side. Yeah. Um, so you've got, these are all about like exchanges of power on one hand, like from a plot perspective, there's also, you know, stuff about family and, and generational differences, right? Um, Edmund is able to take power by kind of messing with all of the conventional lines of power or at least that's yes. his goal anyway right yeah um whereas lear tries to i guess use the hierarchy correctly and it blows up in his face and he goes crazy i don't even know if he's 
because he doesn't have a male it, heir. He, he's using it quote unquote correctly, but he's not. He's changing it and messing it up still. Like, I think normally it would just pass to the eldest. But there's I mean, no. I know son. he. I know he doesn't have a male heir, but wouldn't it just go to the eldest daughter anyway? But he decides it. He decides to split it up, and then the cr- criteria that he uses to split it up is who loves me the best. It's terrible. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so like, okay, here here we go. Like, here is a passage that like is entertaining to read, but to say what happens is boring. Okay. So I'm I can tell you that Edgar as Tom is leading Gloucester around and he's and he's like leading Gloucester to believe that he's taking him to a cliff so that Gloucester can jump off. Great. And um, so Gloucester says, when shall I come up to the top of that same hill? Edgar, you do climb up it now. Look how we labor. Gloucester, methinks the ground is even. Edgar, horrible steep. Hark, <laughs> do you hear the sea? Gloucester, <laughs> no, truly. Edgar, why then your other senses grow imperfect by your eyes' anguish. It's <laughs> so like, that's good, right? That is pretty and good. And there, there are other things in the sequence, but, you know, when you're just telling the overarching story, I think maybe you lose a little bit of stuff. So that's, I guess our normal approach maybe is not doing Shakespeare all the justice that we could be doing. Here. Well, yeah, and I, I think when you boil down a lot of the a lot of Shakespeare's plots, they be they sound far simpler than than they appear when you stage them. Terrible people do terrible things to each other. Yeah, or everyone dies at the end. Or alternatively, it's a bunch of people want to fall in love and they get mixed up for a while and then they find the person they're supposed to be with. Everyone's married, like. <laughs> Those Depending are, on if you're reading a comedy or a tragedy. Yeah, and then there are all the plays that you don't read because they don't conform to either of those, and it's confusing. You know, good luck, but there's there's still there's plenty of other stuff <laughs> that makes <laughs> these plays worthwhile. Um, and I, I think, for me, there are Shakespeare plays that I don't necessarily enjoy from a plot perspective, but find much more interesting thematically, mm-hmm. right? Um, I feel that way strongly about uh, Julius Caesar. I think the le- second half of that play is kind of messy, and and there's too many characters, and doesn't make any sense. But I think everything up through Antony's speech is a really interesting analysis of power and who gets power and who stays in power and how political alliances are formed. Sure. So, but I I feel like if you boil that down, it's real simple. Caesar dies, and then a bunch of people fight about it. <laughs> So basically, it boils down to there being two sides. Okay. And on the one side is Edmund and Goneril and Regan and their husbands. Well, the Duke of Cornwall, I believe, is killed because a servant is like, hey, you just pulled out Gloucester's eyes and that was stupid. I'm going to kill you. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. So he gets mortally wounded and he, he dies. And then the Duke of Albany is still around um so they're on one side and then on the other side is lear and kent and edgar and uh cordelia and the king of france yep (laughs) right yep and so there is a battle um and I, i should say that lear's you know once once like kent and edgar and everybody find him his 
and and they bring him to Cordelia and they they kind of reconcile and so Lear uncrazies. Yeah. <laughs> for a little bit here. Um so there there's a there's a battle Lear's side loses and um there's this whole there's this whole other plot where like both Regan and Goneril are like competing for Edmund's affections. Mm-hmm. Cause he's he's the hotness. Yeah, but like the Duke of Albany, who is Goneril's husband and who has not died, like <laughs> finds out about this <laughs> and is mad at Goneril, like, dude, I'm your husband. Why are you <laughs> why are you playing me like this? Can't imagine why. So Goneril runs off and then I believe commits suicide. Yep. Because she's embarrassed and ashamed. Always, always the case. Yeah, which is great. And I think oh, Regan was poisoned by Goneril. Great. Yep. Who's died. Oh, and that's that's her, when her plan goes awry. It doesn't work out for her. Yeah, right. So, yep. Um, Edmund is like Edgar reveals himself and has a duel with Edmund who is defeated and is dying. And like he had issued this order to have Lear and Cordelia executed. And he at the last minute tries to reverse the order because I guess he's he like admits that it's out of character for him to be doing this. But I guess he's convinced by his brother's virtuousness to try and save them at the last minute. Yep. Does that Um, work? He is too late to save Cordelia. And Lear is so upset about it that he also dies. Yeah. And then um, depending on which version of the play you're reading, um, either the Duke of Albany or uh, Edgar has a last speech where he is where it it's implied that he will now be king now that all these other people are dead. Yeah, that's usually what happens at the end of these plays. There's one dude left. Yeah. Or like at the end one of one person who hasn't died. Yeah, at the end of of Hamlet when like Fortinbras comes in, he's like, "Hey guys, I'm here to take your kingdom," and <laughs> and they're like, "Oh wait, everyone's dead. You can have it, I guess." <laughs> um, well, isn't the whole the the scene at the when Cordelia's dead? That's the whole like, uh, "Bring me a bring me a glass. I'm gonna put it under her nose and she see if she's breathing or something." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like this play kind of seems to endure based on its imagery that seems to be like it's the the king with the three daughters and and the eyeballs out with the sun and the fool and and leer in the storm and the the holding cordelia thing I, and I, yeah there are a lot of really like really memorable scenes and lines like when they're when they're pulling gloucester's eyes out um, the line is like out vile jelly, oh, think, oh. which is like, which is like gross to think about your eyed slime being jelly. Like, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> um, wasn't there a, was there a later version of this play? I think where they went back to it in the nineteenth century. They went back to the original, but I think in the seventeenth and eighteenth century they were doing a version where King Lear totally made it just fine and became king again. Yeah, I think they had revised it. Um I'm not I'm not sure what the revision was. That's I didn't I didn't um research that particular um diversion from like the regular play, but I assume that 
you could just have it end basically the same way except Cordelia doesn't die and you could still get a happy ending out of it because the bad people all get poisoned and and the the quote unquote good people mostly prevail. Well, right? and I, I yeah, and I think that's actually the, how the original That's how I would change it. Yeah, I think that's how the original legend goes or or the historic quote unquote historical thing that Shakespeare based the play on cuz King Lear was ostensibly a real person in 8th century Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this thing happened, and so then he survived and was king for like another five years or something. But <laughs> they call, when you look it up on the internet, he's referred to as a legendary king, which is like, we think he existed, but there were a bunch of stories about him, so maybe they were embellished. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reference. The fool makes a reference to Merlin once in this play, oh, and says, "Okay," and and he says that you know I am I am older than Merlin. Sure. So at at this, so that at the same time places it earlier than Camelot, but also in the same realm of like maybe fictitiousness. <laughs> like, yeah, that kind of supernatural medieval England. That, right, like like this yeah. is embedded into the culture, but probably it didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> or like it's been embellished so much that that we have no idea what actually happened. Yeah. So um, well, I think there's probably we I don't have enough uh, information on this to talk about on the show, but for those interested, I'm sure there's probably a reading of this play or some scholarship on on this play as kind of written during the transition into King James the first rule because this was they say this was written between like 1603 and 1606 or something like that mm-hmm. and that's when um King James came on board and he's the first Scottish king of England like he ruled both countries and uh he was the one who was in power when the Guy Fox thing happened and someone tried to <laughs> the guy fox thing <laughs> when someone tried to that, blow up that parliament whole kerfuffle yeah the gunpowder plot um happened around when this play was written so i'm sure there's there's a lot to be said about what shakespeare is saying about the transition of power and and the people involved in that process um and i think it's important that the bad guys die i'm sure that, that yeah. i'm sure it's important to king the actual king at the time <laughs> <laughs> that his favorite actors do a play where the king is okay at the end. Um and that's like a whole thing that's a whole thing about Banquo in in Macbeth as well. Banquo mm-hmm. was theoretically related to King James the 1st and in the real like history of Macbeth Banquo was a total jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he was totally in on it uh, and Shakespeare <laughs> changed that so as not to upset his patron the king yeah yeah that that makes sense but um so yeah like you seem to have enjoyed it if you you feel frustrated by the experience of reading i feel like i i mean and i i finished it you know we we were recording we started recording at like 3 30 i finished it at like noon Oh, you've had so, all day to think about this play i mean like maybe i haven't had enough time to digest it or maybe i was like rushing too much to appreciate some of the wordplay like i i feel like i would have to read it again and maybe even without the like annotations and the distracting marks and stuff to just like get more immersed in it yeah 
I could see that. Whenever yeah. whenever I've worked on a Shakespeare that's been produced, we always work from like what is basically a word document. Like yeah. someone types it from an edition and then it's cleaner and then you can work with it and look up stuff later and yeah. in your own ancillary materials as you need to, but for the actual playing of the of the piece, you don't need you don't want that in front of you. You know? Yeah, I, and I should have expected it to to be this way to read it because every time I read Shakespeare, it's like this. Like, <laughs> like probably half of it goes over my head, and it's it's hard to like it's at some points the text and the annotations and everything just gets so dense that you kind of lose the thread of what's going on. Oh, totally. Yeah. So that's why I I felt very lucky in high school to. When I was studying Shakespeare, we did take time to, you know, get up and act it out and mm-hmm. and read it aloud because you will you will miss whole swaths of it. And I still do whenever I'm just reading yeah. Shakespeare for anything. So hopefully I didn't butcher it too much. Oh, write in and tell us, though, if we did. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if you wanted to write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or a Facebook message at facebook.com slash overduepod. Or a tweet at uh, <laughs> twitter.com slash overdue pod. Those are all the places where we can be reached. You can also find back episodes of the show and links to all the books that we've read on Amazon uh, at overduepodcast.com. You can also find links to our iTunes page where you can subscribe to the show uh, and rate and review the show. I want to thank all the people who have uh, gone and rated it and done so uh, favorably. Um, it's very kind of you. I specifically, want to thank uh, Robert uh, Lady Pants. Which is a really good that name. Can't be that's, your real name. It's a good did name. You say that can't be their real name. Yeah, Craig. I I that don't can't think be their so. real name. Um. Oh, of the and, Vermont Takewells. Uh, a couple other people. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh Lady Pants was the number one name in, in two thousand and one. <laughs> um, and Grog is also uh, commented on our iTunes page. So thank you guys very much for that. Uh, we really appreciate it. And Andrew and I definitely tell each other whenever we've seen a new one because um, it kind of gets us all excited. Uh, so thanks for that. And of course, if if you have recommendations for stuff we should read or uh, stuff that you think we got wrong, you should yes. definitely listen. And um, also thank you to Brian who sent us a very nice Facebook message this week. So. Um, even if you don't, Thanks, and Brian. he recommended a book too, which we really appreciate. If you want to, if you want to recommend books to us, I believe Craig maintains a document with a, just a list of all the suggestions that people have that we could dip into when the, you know, when we can't find or when we can't immediately think of something to read. So, yep. so yeah, um, Craig, you are up next week. So what, what is it that you are going to read and hopefully understand better than I understood Shakespeare? Uh. I was uh, watching Jeopardy the other day, and Dorothy Parker came up and was cited as a, as a pretty influential writer right. in the early 20th century in America. And I realized I hadn't okay. read a single thing she wrote. So <laughs> I'm reading two stories All by right. Dorothy Parker. Uh, we will see you then. And in the meantime, try to be happy. Happy.